Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Freightonomics. Thank you so much for tuning in and watching us. We are doing Freightonomics from home today in a socially distant, safe manner. I am one of your hosts here, Anthony Smith, lead economist. And as always, I am joined by the Sultan himself, Zach Strickland, here by my side, virtually, safely, of course. And we have quite the show here for you today. Yeah, so we've, uh, you know, we're bringing on Dr. Z, Dr. Zach Rogers, Zach, to, uh, to discuss some ongoing changes in the supply chain environment, uh, as well as a few other topics of note uh, that we're going to tackle today. Uh, keeping it pretty relevant and topical, I believe, uh, Mr. Smith, as we, you know, we're entering this period of transition, uh, both in the season and in kind of the overall economy, uh, macro environment. Uh, you know, COVID cases coming off of their, I don't know if to, I'm supposed to call it like the third wave or the second wave or the back half of the first wave. I don't know. Dr. Anthony Fauci is going to have to let me know what he thinks there. But uh, we are at a, a pretty critical turning point in our world, in the economy, in the domestic economy, uh, you know, unemployment levels starting to come back. Um, looks like things are starting to regulate there, if I'm not mistaken. So... No. <laughs> I have a mini rant with employment. And you know what? Maybe also, by the way, we are monitoring. I'm monitoring our socials live on LinkedIn. If you are currently watching and streaming on a Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So, of course, as always, you can comment and uh, questions, anything like that. Get in on the show. Dane Adams just says hello. Um, good afternoon from Salt Lake City. But yes, Zach. Unemployment, um, such a such a hot topic uh, here in the last several months, is it not? It is, it is, and I mean, many headlines would show or do show that there is some subtle improvements. I mean, we're looking at the unemployment rate, we're looking at initial jobs claims, um, openings, things like that. It all shows that there's been some subtle growth, and I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. I'm 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 a little bit skeptical overall. When we're looking at initial jobs claims, um, it's coming down. Uh, but we saw with the latest number that the week before had to get upward revised by like thirty three thousand or something like that. And so that doesn't instill confidence in me that there is an accurate data collection going on right now within uh, the at least initial jobs claims. So we're looking at the unemployment rate. I think it was somewhere around six or uh, three point six percent. No, six point three percent. Excuse me, and um, that that's not going to be a, a recovery. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That would be a quick recovery, but yeah. I don't think that's going to be an accurate depiction of where we are because there's millions of job, uh, permanent job loss. There are individuals that are currently not looking for work right now that are not being counted. And even when you look at the U six, those that are keeping in count of those that are actively looking, it's still, I think, not quite capturing the full picture of where we are as uh, an economy. And what we're seeing right now for unemployment levels. And so I have some skepticism. I don't think it's going to be, I think it's going to be some time until we see what the true or the real impact is from COVID and employment. I think we might see full employment take hold by 2022, um, sometime uh, next year, mid 2022. But I, I'm not really buying all of it right now when we're looking at initial jobs claims or we look at unemployment. I don't think the true impact has really been. Um, fully, I don't think, processed through the means that we're looking at right now. So a little bit of skepticism yeah. looking at these numbers. Hey, I, I appreciate skepticism uh, on any on any count. Uh, so 
I, I think, you know, we talked about this a few weeks ago on the on the data dump episode where you really have to understand what's being measured, uh, what kind of biases are inherent to that data. Uh, and you're basically, you know, representing, hey, some caution around some of these unemployment numbers, meaning, you know, maybe the recovery still hasn't fully recognized, like been recognized in, in the data yet. Uh, hold your horses. I have a sense, though, that I, I think, you know, as things warm up, the cases are falling pretty rapidly at this point, and the vaccine, of course, is isn't going to hurt things. Uh, I have a sense that things might ramp up here in the next several months uh, in terms of economic recovery, especially on the employment side. I I already hear like some sort of rumblings uh, in that regard that employers are starting to actively look more uh, towards the future, knowing that things are going to change um, and they're going to need people to help out uh, with that change as, you know, if, if things were just, if we had not had a COVID environment and things had just moved forward uh, straight line uh, from 2019 to 2020, there would not be, I don't think, as much demand for extra uh, hands on deck for, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, this transition period, like transition volatility creates more need for uh, for that human resource. And I think that's going to, I think that's going to manifest here uh, in the next few months. But that being said, uh, we do have some stories of the day to tackle today, Anthony Smith. And one of them is quite relevant uh, to what we're going to dive into. This is kind of the catalyst for the topic of the day, which is evolving supply chains. Um, and this is a story that came out last week. Uh, we were actually going to do it on last week's show before we kind of got pushed uh, there. But it was it's involving, you know, companies' plans to reshore or nearshore or change shores in whatever manner you want to uh, approach it there, basically changing where they're sourcing their products. 22% of them, uh, said they plan to reshore to the United States. Uh, so bring back uh, some of that production from wherever it is. Obviously, a lot of it's happening in China and Southeast Asia. Uh, but 24% in general say they plan to re, uh, reshore to another country entirely. Uh, and, and Europe is actually one of the hot spots for that consideration uh, due to, you know, being obviously they have the population for it. They have the infrastructure for a lot of it. Uh, now, can we seamlessly replace China as our uh, industrial production uh, arena? No, uh, by any means. But the idea is that this is going to gradually over time, and it got a Kickstarter from COVID, uh, push a lot of that production to other places, which is going to have an inherent impact on the way that uh, freight moves throughout the world and, and, and of course, subsequently the uh, domestic United States. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that you mentioned there that really kind of stuck out for me is the infrastructure. And I think that's a huge part. I mean, it has infrastructure, but the vast infrastructure that is China is just so hard to compete with and really kind of replace overnight, as you mentioned. And so I think when we're looking at nearshoring or reshoring, uh, in a sense, it's going to be difficult to find all of the aspects that China has in another country or continent such as Europe. Yeah. And, and I think one of the interesting aspects of this article, uh, you know, is the fact that this is more driven by customer expectations than it is necessarily a company wanting to find cheap labor, um, you know, which is what initially created most of this sourcing was the cheaper materials, cheap labor costs in China uh, and Southeast Asia, making it a lot easier uh, for companies to, to source things there. But 
and I, and I think we're growing up as a global economy, <laughs> if yeah. you will, where a lot of the consumers are now not just wanting cheaper products or a cheaper option, but they want something that they, they want a wider range of, you know, value versus uh, price. Um, and I, I should say quality versus price. Uh, and they just want more options and they want, obviously, things faster and more reliably. Um and they're willing to pay along that curve for those items. So, I, and I think that's what we're seeing the evolution of is COVID's kind of pushed that down the, the road a lot more. E-commerce uh, becoming a huge uh, factor in all this. But that being said, uh, probably the biggest stories in the transportation sector, and we don't have a specific story uh, other than several Nick Austin articles on FreightWaves.com, but the weather disruptions here over the last several weeks have continued uh, to create uh, this uh, additional layer of tightness in the truck truckload market. Um, you know, we had the Nor'easter at the end of January that hit the Northeastern sector, huge uh, population center, a lot of consumption activity there, but also a lot of freight goes into that area of the country, as well as a big, huge hub of distribution. Um, and that created this little bubble uh, that had you know, it lasted for about a week or a week and a half or so up there, and then it kind of receded. So tender rejection rates came down, spot rates came down. Um, and then on its heels, about a week later, we have this huge, and I know our friends in Texas are still feeling this, uh, as we have yet another system pushing through the middle of the country again in an area that's not necessarily used to dealing with this type of weather over Arkansas and Texas and, uh, you know, western Tennessee. Uh, and even into areas like Indianapolis and, uh, you know, Ohio, where they do see a lot of snow, they're getting a lot more snow on top of snow. And that has kind of extended this tight environment that we thought we were on kind of this downhill pattern. We were seeing rejection rates slowly fall. We peaked out around 28% around Christmas. They had quickly dropped to about 24, 23% over the, uh, the two weeks following and then throughout January, we kind of just gradually drew down on that uh, until these winter systems hit. And now tender rejection rates, after going down below 21% for the first time since August, uh, jumped back up. <laughs> and we see it on the truckstop.com rates as well. Spot rates going up uh, as Dallas, St. Louis, um, Memphis, and areas of the Midwest see uh, capacity tighten. And again, this has downstream effects. Uh, throughout the United States as these carrier networks get disrupted. That's right. And I am going to give some attention to our LinkedIn comment section right now. Um, just giving everyone a quick shout out. I'm looking through it now. Uh, seems to be <laughs> quite a few jokes about the lovely flowers behind me right now. Um, Tim Dooner saying, wow, what lovely flowers. Uh, T. Kenny McKinney saying, good afternoon from Texas. Hope you're staying warm, T. Um, uh, we have Nathan Connor saying good day from Oxford, Ohio. Um, uh, Tim Dooner saying, have you ever microwaved a rose? Uh, I, have, <laughs> I haven't. And it's actually a fun fact that the roses aren't the decoration the stove is. I don't really do that much cooking overall, so it's, it's not going to burn. Um, we have Matthew Fink saying, nice post from Jason Miller today, noting retail sales indeed were not up as recorded, uh, reported, just less bad, um, and a seasonal dip in that drop, um, saying, 
Is it the same for unemployment? Also, is it a possibility that we never get back to pre-COVID unemployment numbers? I think that's definitely possible. I think um, we'll, we'll for sure see a shift. Um, and I think there's going to be a permanent change. I mean, for those that are, you know, within certain sectors of hospitality, um, hospitality, of course, is going to come back online eventually. But we're going to see permanent change in certain industries um, that weren't prevalent before COVID. I think one of those industries, of course, is going to be within the supply chain, we're looking at logistics, of course, we're looking at warehousing, we're looking at e-commerce. Of course, that's going to be an area of, of uh, permanent change. But um, I think definitely the workplace has been kind of restructured when we're looking at um, what's going on with any type of uh, remote lifestyle or remote working environments. If it can be done at home, will it be done at home? Um, we have Tim Dooner saying Anthony Cupid Smith. I kind of like the ring of that. And we have Carol Curtin um, saying moving sources from China is one thing we have learned from 2020. We need more diversification. And I think that's right. I mean, when we get too dependent on one area, one region for um, really being our main source, they hold all the power over our not just one uh, segment of our economy, but any other segments that are adjacent to it that seeps into it. And so diversification under sources of manufacturing and, and any kind of sources of, of product, I think is going to be a good thing and a positive thing when we're looking at uh, improvements throughout the domestic economy. So I'm, I'm, I'm right there with you, Carol. I appreciate that one. But that is our comment section update. And uh, yeah, well, keep those, keep those on numbers the coming. Yeah. On, on the, thank you, obviously, for all those comments. Uh, we love to hear from you, especially those out in the field, uh, you know, doing all the work. And so the, you know, you're talking about unemployment. Now, the last story of the day before we bring on uh, Dr. Zach Rogers uh, basically comes from the Wall Street Journal, uh, just a logistics update. Uh, so the FMCSA rec records over 56,000 drug and alcohol clearinghouse violations this year. Um, and they resulted in 45,000 drivers losing their jobs and 35,000 of 34,000 of those have not yet been cleared to drive again. So effectively removing uh, approximately 1.1% of the driver pool. Um, and, you know, I, I kind of had a feeling this might be the, the case, uh, you know, when they announced the, the drug and alcohol clearinghouse uh, having this level of impact, I, I'm actually, I actually think it's kind of muted. Uh, from what I expected to happen, uh, mainly because we have this, uh, you know, overriding uh, kind of movement towards legalizing marijuana. And uh, marijuana is a unique drug of sorts. Um, you, It stays in the system. It stays in the body. There's varying opinions on how dangerous it is to, um, to use uh, or how impaired you are when you use it. And it's just easier in general uh, for people just to kind of push it all over into the same space because it's, it's, it's very difficult to manage. And I think uh, this is going to be a tremendous headwind uh, for carriers here in the near future. And right now it is, it already is. Uh, but I think it's going to continue and persist and it's going to siphon a lot of these job driver jobs into other areas that are a little bit more uh, forgiving of, of its usage. Yeah, and that's the other thing, right, Zach? I mean, when you're looking at the usage of some of these drugs, um, marijuana seems to be the one that is more commonly used, but it stays in the system longer. 
Um, but I mean, if there's any kind of federal mandate put in place, we've seen it happen in Canada. We're seeing it propping up in different states. Um, Colorado, like where Dr. Zach Rogers resides. Um, I mean, it seems to be less harmful and even medicinal and helpful in some cases in some states put out. So it just seems like, you know, there are limitations between testing and seeing when, um, you know, of course you don't want truck drivers driving around high. They just smoked or just ate a bunch of gummies and now they're hitting the road, but there is something for trying to test at that time. That's going to be a little bit more pricey, right? A little bit more expensive to see um, when the last consumption was. Is that right? Yeah. So I actually asked, um, our, my old HR uh, person about this because we, this was back when I was, you know, a few years ago uh, at a company where we had drivers uh, and it, I, I kind of just knew inherently that this would be a thing as some of these states legalized uh, the use of it, what our, our policy would be. I think it would obviously push people in a direction or another over whether or not they were going to stay employed. And she basically laid it out in, in a very simple manner. It's like, listen, uh, if you do you want a driver behind the wheel that tests positive for marijuana use? Um, do you don't know if they did it while they were driving or while they were at home? Um, the easiest way to deal with it is simply just make it completely uh, you know you can't use this while you are employed at at this company and I you know it was really, really hard for me to argue. Um, that why would it be illegal to do this, you know, at your work, if it's legal for you to do it, you know, and she's like, well, alcohol is not legal for you to do it at the job. And you, you know, the difference is that alcohol leaves the system, uh, in a short period of time relative to, to marijuana as do other, uh, some of these other drugs. So they, they simply just don't have a good way of monitoring it and testing it and making sure that it is not being used while on the job. Yeah, right. And, and I mean, on the the tail of that conversation, let's ask an opinion from a Coloradoan, Dr. Zach Rogers, on uh, his input and thoughts around regulation and marijuana usage by drivers. Well, hey, guys. I mean, we're all uh, you know, fine with it in Colorado. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I, I think it's it's a lot like like what Zach just said. You have to have a test that's dynamic and updates quickly. You know, uh, alcohol's out of your system in 24 hours. Cocaine's out of your system, I think, in 72 hours. Uh, but but marijuana will stay there for 30 days. And so if you, I mean, obviously, I, I you know, I, you know, here in Colorado, you know, it's legal, but you, you can't go to work when you're stoned. Um, and uh, now, do I, is it maybe as harmful as alcohol or, I mean, you know, I don't think it hurts you as much as cigarettes, honestly, but, um, but, uh, you know, you have to have a way to test for it. Um, and it's a lot of it is a liability thing. I mean, imagine, you know, a truck hits somebody or goes off the road, especially with icy conditions like we have now, and there's marijuana in the driver's system. That's going to make it a much worse lawsuit than it may otherwise have been. And so companies have to protect themselves and until, you know, federal regulation changes, I don't really see it changing uh, for drivers, which is a shame because we need truck drivers right now. Uh, we're really short. You know, I mean, it, it, prices are up. Capacity is down. And part of the reason that's the case is because we don't have enough drivers. And, uh, and you know, it, it also makes it hard, I think, 
because we're seeing such turnover in terms of fleets. You know, we had, uh, there was a great article in the Wall Street Journal last week. I think we lost 3,100 fleets in, in 2020. Now, most of those fleets are the small, you know, 20 trucks and under, which is 95% of all fleets is 20 trucks or less. And so we have all this turnover where I'm guessing there's a lot of folks who are wanting to move from these smaller fleets to your bigger fleets, you know, your FedEx or, or DHL or whatever. But we have all these sort of rules in place. And, and, and I, I think, honestly, it's fine, to, it's fine to have rules. It's fine to have regulations. But to crack down right now when there's such a labor shortage, it drives up prices for every other consumer in the economy. And so I, I think... I don't know. I I, I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, say anything controversial. But you know, we really this need is Freedonomics. This is a podcast for controversy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, Carol Curtin in the comments saying, "What about CBD?" I mean, is that going to be something oh. that also pops up in a drug test? I think. I think CBD. You know, it's, CBD is only. It, it doesn't have the psychometric parts that like a THC has. So THC is where you get inebriated. CBD is like a mm-hmm. muscle relaxer, honestly. Right. I mean, does that pop up on test? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we need answers here, but, but yeah, yeah, but no, they definitely don't, they don't test it here. Um, so I mean, you can go to the there's the Target down the street from my house. You can get a CBD tea while you're inside yeah. and walk around with it. So right, I, I right. don't really know. <laughs> right, right. And I think you bring up a good point of increased regulation during this time of capacity crunch. Right. I mean, during the onset of COVID-19, one of the things that we we're talking about initially was how do we get more people able to help and contribute on the front line, whether it be um, do you take students that are about to graduate with um, you know, their medical degrees, uh, nurses that are about to graduate, do you help them with some on-field experience as we have this increasing need for, you know, um, healthcare within the country? And so mm-hmm. it's definitely looking at that timing of that supply and demand of adequate labor and help. Um, and is this really the time to add regulation? Well, you know, they waived regulations to get the vaccines approved more quickly. Yeah. And to me, I mean, obviously the vaccine, that's that's one thing. But if we're going to waive some regulations so that we can get healthy quickly... I think waiving a few regulations so that the economy can also get healthy quickly isn't that different from that sort of policy. Right. Right. Yeah, and- I think I think what we what we might run into there though is that like you said, liability drives just about everything nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um and that's that's gonna be a much tougher sell. Uh and I don't know I don't know what kind of liability, like with the vaccine, for instance, I'm sure that they were granted some level of liability waiver <laughs> uh, to make yeah. sure that this got through. I'm, I'm sure there's some things in the back there that we don't know about just yet. This one, there's there's not, I mean, 1.1% uh, reduction in the supply. A lot of the big carriers don't really mind this because uh, it's keeping rates inflated. Um, and that's not necessarily, you know, eventually I think everybody's kind of used to the carrier not having leverage in the market. So it's, it's a short-term uh, situation for sure with the COVID vaccine and things like that. That is something that has a much bigger implication, <laughs> uh, obviously. And I, I think that you, you're probably not going to get that argument by too many people, uh, you know, in the in the uh, regulation space, uh, you know, this, with some sort of uh, momentum behind it, in my opinion. And no, you're, you're, you're up. Uh, this 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 subject here, we get Carol Curtin saying that it does pop up as a positive for CBD, but 
Dr. Zach Rogers, I mean, we only have a few minutes later left and, and we always want that update on what's going on with the Logistics Managers Index. I know it was a up, slight upward movement slightly this month. Is that correct? Oh, I thought we were just talking about drugs today, but okay, yeah. Like, we can. We can go on another 30 minutes here. <laughs> yeah, sure. So, uh, yeah, so the LMI uh, was up to a 67 in January, which is well above, um, you know, the average all-time of, of 62 and up considerably from this time last year. So if you look at January last year, we're at about a, a, a 54. And again, just to remind everybody, any number above 50, uh, means we're seeing growth month to month. Any number below 50 means contraction. Now, a lot of this growth we're seeing right now is driven by inventory levels. So inventory uh, right now uh, was growing at 62 in January, which doesn't seem huge until you compare it to a normal January. So normally, you know, inventory is, is fairly slow uh, in January. Last year in at this time, it was a 53, 54. But a couple things happened. So one, we were in such a hole uh, from earlier in the pandemic that essentially we didn't slow down uh, for, for Chinese Lunar New Year, which happened last week. And so production is, has sort of kept going, which has led to a real bottleneck uh, at a lot of the ports. I, I checked the, the port of Los Angeles today, and there were 17 ships uh sitting sitting in the port waiting to be unloaded plus then a, a few more that that are outside of it and if you look year over year uh february is going to be almost double in terms of the containers that just moving through the port of la uh from from 2019 and the the backlog is getting so slow that we now have stuff being routed to oakland seattle savannah and and really supply chains right now are clogged there's so much inventory sitting in there. You know, I, I would almost compare it to like, you know, it's like when you have to do the dishes. And Anthony, we just found out, doesn't cook. So, Zach, this, this analogy is for you. Uh, so it's like when you have to do the dishes and your sink is already so full of dirty dishes that that you you don't have any room to clean anything. It's like I'm just going to, you know, you're, you're, the water will overflow the second you turn it on. That's what supply chains are right now. They're so clogged up. It's hard to get anything really, really moving through because the slowness at U.S. ports is creating slowness at Chinese ports. So now they're off track on the back end because empty containers are slow getting back. You add on to that uh, the, the outbreak in Dailan in China. And so river traffic going north to south, south being where a lot of the ports are, is also stopped up. American supply chains are getting it from both sides, essentially where we have this huge consumer demand. The, the consumer demand is what I would call indissoluble. It was up 5.3% in, uh, in January, when normally it would be down. And we're slow in both the inbound ports on the U.S. side and the outbound ports on the Chinese side. And basically, the supply chains are just constipated right now. Uh, so capacity is low, prices are up. And it's going to be a while until we can really get things uh, uh, moving at the rate that we need them to go. So are you seeing any kind of changes in some of these companies' supply chain? Like how, ra how quickly are they able to even change? Or are they changing at this point? They talk about so, it, but I don't know if there's any real changes happening. Right. So transportation, you can ramp up more quickly. And we are seeing huge numbers of fleets being built right now. We're not seeing the, that same infrastructure, though. I mean, you know, a port is hard to expand. Um, warehouses are hard to expand. 
you know, we ask always uh, respondents, hey, over the next 12 months, what's going to happen? And so when we asked them about transportation capacity, uh, they said, yeah, it, it'll grow at about a 62 percent, uh, a 62 point clip. So we'll add significant amount of trucks uh, over the next 12 months. Warehouses, 51, which basically means they're going to stay the same. And that's reflected in the prediction that warehouse price will be up at, at, at an 83 point rate. OK, so we're going to see steep growth in infrastructure costs. You know, if you think about capital infrastructure like warehousing and it's because we just can't keep up, you know, we're, we're so far in the hole um, in terms of the infrastructure we need. You know, e-commerce grew three years and nine months, basically. And it's going to take us, I think, probably at least three years to catch up. Uh, and that seems to be what our respondents are saying as well. So, you know, we can try to reshore like you guys were talking about earlier. Um, I think it's probably more likely to be nearshoring given sort of the, the climate in the U.S. But that stuff takes time. And and in the moment, basically, you know, they, they always say you, you go to war uh, with with the army from the last war. And that's sort of what's happening right now. We're trying to deal with today's logistics problems with a pre-COVID logistics infrastructure. And it's just going to take a long time for us to catch up to where we need to be. Zach, we are running up on time here, but want to close it with one question, because one of the things you alluded to is expectations and the future. And I'm always interested to know what your respondents said for future expectations with the LMI. Right. So future LMI uh, is at a 68 and a half. Uh, so, so big growth across the board, 81 for inventory price, 79.9 transportation price, 83, like we said already, for warehousing price. And it's interesting if you look at the split between upstream and downstream respondents. So downstream respondents being, you know, retailers close to the consumer, they're predicting uh, inventory price to go up at 10 points. No, sorry, 15 points faster than our, our downstream folks. OK, and so they really think it's going to be tough in terms of holding all the inventory they need to hold to get forward to the consumer relative to the to the, to the people who are upstream. Uh, and we don't normally see that sort of bifurcation in future indexes. So it's, it's pretty interesting. Great. Zach, thank you. As always, we appreciate your insights. And thank you all for tuning in. As always, we will be back next week. But we have a special announcement. If you haven't already heard, we have the Glo Global Supply Chain Summit happening all of next week. And hopefully we will also have Zach Rogers there. So stay tuned. I think we just... We had a little too much drug talk, so we need some more LMI talk <laughs> potentially <laughs> next week. Um, but thank you all for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next episode. Sounds good, guys. And drink more water. <laughs>